Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to The Uncommon Life Project. I am your host, Philip Ramsey with... The Aaron Kramer. Oh man, I can't wait. This is actually a good one. And we've been wanting to get this gentleman on the show for quite some time. This is a topic that everybody knows that you need to do as you an adult. This is like adulting at its finest. We are talking about estate planning. We have a guest on the show. His name is Charles Bottenberg. He is an estate planning extraordinaire attorney that works downtown in Des Moines, Iowa at Allers and Cooney. Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to the show, my man, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. First, um, this is going to be amazing only because you are, have like a personality. There's not a lot of lawyers out there that I'm like, let's get them on the show, but you are one of those people. <laughs> yes, Charles. So thank you. Do you want to go by Charles or what, what do you want to yeah, Charlie, it? Charles, hey, you. Okay. As okay. long as it's All not, right. you know, that idiot over there, I'm, I'm usually pretty, uh, pretty, I don't even go by my first name. My legal first name is Richard. So like, I'm used oh. to just ignoring Ooh. extraneous data thrown at me. So don't worry about that. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. My first question is how did you get to where you're at today? And one, can you believe people pay you to do what you do? You love what you're doing. And I think that's probably what attracted me most about you and having you on the show is you absolutely love what you do. You love helping people and people pay you for it. So that's really the kind of genesis of the show. If you're the first time listener, um, we have a lot other like regular listeners, but if you're just first turning in because it is the one and only Charlie, I get it. Welcome to the show. Uh, so tell us, how did you get to where you're at today currently? Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, I I am very happy that people pay me. So I'm going to start with that because I do have you know <laughs> student loans and a mortgage and all that. But no, my um, my path to being an attorney is I'm not going to say it's unique by any means, but I would definitely say it's atypical. Um, so I came down to Drake University in the late '90s for undergrad. Um, I actually have my uh, bachelor's degree in biochemistry, cell and molecular biology, which is um, there's, amazing. There's, there's more than one attorney out there with that degree. In fact, my one of my college roommates at one point in time, um, he ended up going to law school. So I know there's at least two of us out there with uh, biochem degrees from Drake from the late 90s or early twos oh. that, that are attorneys. But um, I was I was not a model student in undergrad. I uh, I don't know. I just didn't like it. It wasn't it wasn't my thing. I didn't I didn't try hard. I wasn't invested. Um, I, I, I would explain it best as I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted. And so I didn't try, right. There was just not a whole lot of, uh, of understanding of where I needed to go. So I, I got out of undergrad, um, got married, got a job actually in, uh, in it at Wells Fargo at a, at a help desk, um, started oh, working there. That was there. your favorite job. That was your favorite job. That was job. my favorite Let's job. Just be that was, it was, it was a lot of fun and, um, it was no. It was it was one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. Not because it was you know like oh gosh you know people are easy, but the 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 tasks that they gave me were not overly strenuous. Right, there was not a whole lot of mental energy used. So I recognized early on that I wasn't going to be happy in that long term. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, my family kind of has a uh, a pretty good case of of, uh, of wanderlust, and you can't really sit still. So. 
I, I went back to uh, Iowa State and started my MBA um, in my MBA classes. Well, one of them was taught by a, uh, ref- I call him a reformed litigator. He was a litigation attorney and then went to be a, like a strategic uh, business analyst kind of thing. And then also a, a partner in a law firm up in Ames. Um, and we just got, you know, kind of the chatting and, and they both sort of said, Hey, you know, your personality and the way you think just kind of, you know, kind of matches law. That's something you should look at. Now, Fun fact, the guy up in Ames claims to this day he told me not to go to law school, which, um, I mean, clearly is not oh, true. I wouldn't have done it had he not pushed me. But, but he, he claims, he claims <laughs> no responsibility for my life decisions, which is fair. That's, that's, that's 100% fair. <laughs> um, so I, I said, okay, well, you know, I didn't have the greatest undergrad grades ever, and that's, you know, a problem. Um, took the LSAT, which is the law school aptitude test did, you know, did, did pretty well. I didn't, I mean, I didn't ace the thing by any means, but I did well enough to get in for sure. Um, you know, applied to six, eight law schools, got into three or four, um, was about to make my decision. And the day that I was going to make my, that's the day before I was going to make my decision. My wife told me she was pregnant with our second kid. Um, and that pretty much ended my decision. Not that there's anything wrong with Drake university law school, had a great experience at Drake and I'm really glad I went to Drake, but um, commuting to law school with one small child was going to be a uh, ridiculously difficult task. With two, I was like, nope, we're not even going to do it. Just going to stay and go to Drake, um, which has worked out really, really well because the opportunities that Drake offers, especially being here in Des Moines, being the only law school here in Des Moines, um, you just get exposed to a lot of things that other people have to travel for. So um, went to law school Finished law school. The job market back in 2012, 2013 was not awesome. Um, sort of said, hey, I bet we can just start a law firm. That can't be that hard, which, uh, spoiler alert, it is. Stupid idea, but we did it anyway. <laughs> um, and so two of us graduated, started a law firm, operated that from uh, the beginning of May of 2013 to uh, October of 2020 when we joined Allers & Cooney. Um, so let's talk about that little hiatus there because I remember talking to you. Remember this? Yep. Like, yes, that's we, what I was asking. That's what that, before yes. the show, I was asking, were you on that, that on that fateful call? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And we talked to you and the partner at the time. And what yep, were you Jeremy. trying to do exactly? Because I thought it was a brilliant idea. So we were trying to essentially develop a mass marketable, streamlined, um, for lack of a better term, uncomplicated estate planning um, tool that would allow someone from the comforter of their home to log into, we wanted, you know, bank security, very secure website, um, fill in personal details, answer a series of questions to sort of figure out, you know, what, what options, if you will, within the estate plan do you need? Um, and then the goal was basically at the end of it, it would kick out, a fully formed um, estate planning packet, which they could then either come into our office for a small fee to have executed or have it emailed to them. And they could go to like a bank or somewhere else that would have a notary and a couple witnesses to, to effectuate the estate plan with um, you know, with, with some instructions on how to do that. And it was, it was sad the day that we, we put the final nail in the coffin on that project. Um, I still think in the grand scheme of things, it has, I mean, it's, it's obviously there's big name, there's big name companies out there that do those sorts of things. Um, None of their documents are tailored to Iowa law, right? None of their documents understand the the nuance and the complexities of of the Iowa probate process. Um, 
And so our theory was that there's a market for that. And there's, you know, the, the, the goal was to go into, um, you know, a company and, and offer it as like an employee benefit, right. Or go into a, um, you know, we, we know a lot of, uh, first responders or, or public safety or, or, you know, uh, police individuals go, you know, go into an entire precinct or an entire fire department and just like th- these people need estate planning, right. They're in, they're in high stress, high conflict, sometimes dangerous jobs. And a lot of times they don't have any of those documents in place. Right. So the, the, the theory was how can we, um, remove as many barriers to entry for people as possible. And then, you know, the flip side was we were trying to do it, um, for lack of a better term, as, 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 as clean on a budget as we could, right. We're trying to make it very inexpensive. Cost efficient. Yeah. yeah, Basically cut the price down by, you know, two thirds compared to normal. What what Um, was the final thing that made you have put the nail in it? Um, the logistics of how to make it work with a two man law firm, um basically we kind of needed to either make it our main focus or um or let it go and it didn't it just didn't make sense to try to make it our main focus there's there's too much there's too much work i mean it, it was a two year process we did we did a couple beta tests on some um on some businesses in our that are owned or run by friends of ours um it was really difficult to eliminate all of the the manual labor portion. So the, the whole goal was that it just spit the document out and there was no manual labor involved, right? Like there was yeah. no actual input from a human being that was necessary. And it just never, it just never materialized. I'm sure somebody who uh, is smarter than me could have made it work. Um, well, it also just too, those, you had, just didn't uh, fit. you had a growing family and yeah. like, obviously some needs there. You had student loans. You've already talked about like we got bills. Yeah. And, and my practice was taking off and doing really well. So it's kind of like one of those, okay, yeah. I'm going to have to give up, you know, the left hand to make the right hand work. And that didn't anyway, it would have involved a lot of traveling as you go out to like, I'm going to go to storm Lake or I'm going to go to, you know, and, and it would take maybe a day or two of travel to get up there. And it, it, right. it just didn't, it, it was a, it was the, it was a project for a single person or somebody who didn't have small kids. And both of us were not single and both of us had small <laughs> kids. So not exactly overly functional. Maybe timing. So, okay, let's go into this. Cause I really do want to focus on why is getting an estate plan for you and your wife will and trust? Why is it important? And I think this is something that um, as you get older, you know, you have to do, but so let's just talk a little bit about that whole aspect of it and kind of like um, for our listeners, just why would you even want to think about this or why do people do it? That kind of question. Super important. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what a lot of people don't understand is whether you have an estate plan or not, you have an estate plan. Okay. What does that mean? That's, that's lawyer talk, right? Like you're not making any sense here. Um so the Iowa Code, Chapter 633, has basically a default estate plan that the Iowa legislature over the course of many years has assembled for every single individual who dies subject to the jurisdiction of Iowa. And it lays out when you die, this is where your stuff is going to go. Um, and as a default estate plan goes compared to some of the other states that I have examined, it's, it's actually not that bad. I think it makes a lot of really good assumptions. I think it makes a lot of very logical assumptions that for most people are going to relatively flow where they want it to go. Oh, sweet. Um, so we don't need to do anything. No, I'm just kidding. Here, here, here's <laughs> the problem. Um, one, if you have small kids, um, the Iowa default does not limit 
basically depending on the type of asset. So we're, we're subject to something called the Uniform Transfers to Miners Act. Basically, it's a, a fancy way of saying, hey, you're under the age of majority. Um, you can inherit assets, but you can't directly control them. The problem is the way that Uniform Transfers to Miner Act works is those funds come out of that custodial account and they go into the hands of that beneficiary, um, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, somewhere in that range. There's a whole bunch of, of, of factors that are involved in that. Um, but most of my clients would prefer to see that number be, say, 25 or 30 or, or, or an age where, um, you know, a little more maturity has taken over. So, that, I mean, that, that right there is a huge problem. Um, two, I don't know that's ever been true in society, but the default that the code kind of goes with is, is it, it works really well if you're on your first relationship or, you, you know, you don't have wow. kids from a previous relationship or... Um, or you're married, maybe, you know, maybe you're domestic partners, but you're not married. Um, it, and in today's society, you have more and more blended families. You have more and more, um, you know, what would not be the, the quote unquote 1950s traditional relationship sort of a thing happening. Um, which I, I honestly think has always been there. It's just maybe not been as noticeable to people, but anyway, so as a, for instance, um, if I have, if I'm married and I have a child from a previous relationship and I pass away, the Iowa default is that my child from a previous relationship gets half of my, my non-jointly owned assets and my spouse gets half of my non-jointly owned assets. Well, that might work great if, you know, I married my spouse when my, my child was, you know, six months old because I had just come out of a relationship or just gotten divorced or whatever that was. And we got married and they're, you know, they're sort of, I was a single parent and they're sort of raising them together. And that's kind of what you would want. Um, but does that make sense if you get married in your mid fifties and you've, you've accumulated most, most of your wealth and you're trying to keep stuff separate and you, you don't have a prenup or anything like that, you know, maybe not. Um, or what happens when that, in that same scenario, um, you know, you, you get married kind of the, we, we call it the Brady bunch plus where, you know, you come to the relationship with kids, your, your uh, significant other comes a relationship with kids and then you have a kid together, right? The, the way that the code handles that is very logical, but in my experience, not very in line with how people are expecting those sorts of things to happen. Uh, as, as a, for instance, most of the time, um, you know, people would leave a life insurance policy or two to take care of the kids and they would want the bulk of their assets to go to their spouse in order to help their spouse live because they, they view that as this is, this is the priority of what I'm trying to do. Well, the default obviously doesn't take that into account. Um, or, or sometimes it's the opposite. Hey, my spouse is, you know, independently wealthy. They don't need any of my stuff. It needs to go to my kids. Well, the, the default code doesn't take that into, into account. It just, it's a, it's a very, you know, math related code calculated. This is what we're going to do, which again, for a, a sizable chunk of people might work. Um, but the number of times that we run into situations where it doesn't work is very, very high. And then the other thing that we run into, or at least I run into a lot is when I'm planning for families and we sit down and we talk about, you know, who is that person or persons, um, who you would want to take care of your minor children. If something happened, uh, not every time is there an instant answer that both parties agree on. Um, I was going to say that I think that what, one of the reasons I've seen so many people struggle to get this process done is you have to have some really hard conversations with your spouse hmm. like that. Like who's going to take a be. child? Yep. Yeah. You know? 
Then he, like, I know, like me and my wife, it was a hard conversation for us. And then we get one, and then our attorney was like, "All right, now, but you need a second one too." And they're like, "What the? It was hard yeah, enough to yeah, find we, one." We do like backups. We really do like backups. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and so here's the thing, and here, here's where I was going with that. The number of times that we're planning not because I want this person to be in charge of my kids and it's I want to make sure this person is not in charge of my kids would shock you. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, out of 10 people, three or four of those conversations are, okay, well, I don't know that I really care, but it can't be your mom. Or I don't know that I really care, but it can't be your sister or your brother or your cousin or your dad. Or, you know, there's just someone in their family, because let's be real, family dynamics exist. There's someone in their family that's toxic or that isn't, um, you know, maybe it's siblings and and they were raised together, but they have very different worldviews. And one spends a lot of money on everything and doesn't, you know, understand how to save or how to budget. And the other one is the exact opposite. Well, you probably wouldn't want like those worldviews just conflict. You may, you may love your sibling, right? You may, you may get along with your sibling outside of, you know, financial conversations. But if, if your parenting style and that person's parenting style or, or, or fiscal responsibility style, aren't a good match, you may not want them raising your kid because you want your kid to follow your idea, not their idea. Right. Yeah. And Charlie, um, another dynamic people don't realize too, when they're talking about money is, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're the expert, but you can whoever's the beneficiary of your child. If you don't set it up, and they, you know, you both spouses die, they also control all the funds for that child as well, don't they? Not always, um, but I do think if somebody is qualified. So, so essentially, what you're talking about. So there's there's two different. Um, there's two different legal paths. You have what's called guardianship and you have what's called conservatorship or custodialship. Um, guardianship is over the, the, the physical person, right? So if I'm the guardian of someone, I'm, I am in charge of their physical person. Yep. I have choices over where they go. If we're talking about a minor child, I can, I can, I can sign off on medical procedures. I can check them in the daycare. I can sign permission slips. I could do all the things that a parent would be able to do. Um, the conservator or the custodian is the person who's in charge of finances. Sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it's not. If you don't have anybody named and you need a custodian, because that's typically what you would set up or a guard or a conservator. um, If they're, if the individual is qualified to be the guardian, uh, I would say probably 97 times out of a hundred, they're also going to be the conservator or they're also going to be the custodian, you know, unless it's a situation where they don't want to be. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you may, you may agree with their parenting style, but you're like, um, you're really bad with money. And I'm worried that, you know, this life insurance <laughs> policy that I'm leaving behind, you know, some, somebody leaves behind a million dollars in life insurance, right? Well, money and changes they, people. They want it, They want their kids taken care of. Well, I'll, so I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a personal example, right? So I, I have three kids um, and I'll give you a personal example only in the fact to say that I have three kids. The rest of this is hundred percent made up. So if any of my in-laws <laughs> or whatever hear any of this, it's not you. I promise. It's not the names have been changed to, to protect the innocent. It just doesn't exist. It's purely hypothetical. Um, so I got the lawyer stuff out of the way. So I have three good kids. Job. Right? Compliance so, is off your back. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's good. No, that's, you know, you got You got to get that out there. But so, you know, if I'm leaving, if the guardian of my children also has three kids and something happens to my wife and I, and they go from a family of, you know, five to a family of eight, there's some real logistical challenges involved. One, does your house fit that many children? Well, most people's houses don't. 
right? We're not, I mean, unless you have a really big house, most people's houses don't have enough bedrooms to make all that work. Now you can, you can squeeze people together. You can find ways to make that work. You know, if it's, if it's in-laws, it's, you know, let's, let's get all the cousins, get the girl cousins in some rooms, get the boys, you know, whatever you can make that work. But a lot of times, especially in bigger cities where people are, um, you know, they, they have, they have the exact amount of space they need. You're talking about an upgrade. Well, who, who's going to pay for that upgrade? Is that upgrade going to come out of the trust fund? Is that upgrade going to come out of the funds of, you know, that are meant for the kids? Um, same with the car, right? So if you have a, you know, if you have a family of two kids and you have a, you know, a Honda Civic and you all, all four of you fit in it, great. Well, I dump my three kids on you. Guess what? You don't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? You're going to have to go buy like a conversion van or a suburban or, you know, so, something that may have a six figure price range. Well, okay. Who's going to pay for that again? You know, I think most reasonable people would say, you know, yeah, well the kids are the ones, you know, me dying is technically it, but the kids are the ones who are sort of forcing this situation. The fund, their funds should perhaps help with some of those expenses. Well, long winded way to get to my point. Here's my point. If the person who is in charge of spending the money is also the person who is in charge of the people, i.e., they're the guardian and the conservator and the trustee and the you know and the custodian, the only person really that they have to convince that it's a, a legitimate expense is themselves. And I think, um, you know, it's it's not common to have issues like these, but you know, the adage is if, if, if you have an issue where the trustee is misappropriating funds or they are, they are overspending funds. A lot of times it's because they're also the guardian and there's not those checks and balances. So a lot of times we'll actually separate those roles. And when we're naming them inside of a will or a trust or whatever, um, we'll name, you know, one person as the guardian and a separate person as the trustee. And that can be because, you know, the guardian is, is, um, suited for taking care of kids and the trustee is not, or that can be because the trustee is really good with money and the guardian is not, or that can just be, um, you know, Hey, we want to make sure there's some checks and balances. And there's, you know, there's other ways to do that. There's, um, you know, naming a third party who's, who's responsible for, for receiving and, and approving trustee reports. Um, but you know, the, the key there is, um, it's, it's a lot harder to have financial malfeasance when people are looking over the shoulder and, I, you know, there's, there's never an easy way of saying this. As an attorney, you tend to kind of get a dim view on humanity sometimes because nobody yeah, on the phone totally. and says, hey, things worked great. I did all those things you told me not to do and it worked great. No one ever does that, right? I get the phone call of, hey, so I know you told me not to do those things. I did them anyway and it blew up in my face. Can you help me fix it, right? So no one calls me and says, hey, we had the same guardian and the same trustee and it worked out fine. Right. Like, but you do get the calls and you do see the cases because when you're reading through the case law, no one sues because it went well, right. They only sue because it didn't go well. Um, so you, you do tend to get a little bit of a jaded perspective, but generally speaking, when, when funds are misappropriated, it's usually because there's not proper reporting or there's not proper procedures of looking at things. And, and our legislature has taken, um, some major steps recently in, in redoing the whole conservator process in, you know, requiring annual reports, requiring a lot of those things to be um, looked at and approved by the court. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, somebody who has an estate plan, who has a trust that may not be court supervised. And so there, right. there's, 
there's just some logistics that are that are involved it's in funny because when you start talking about your lawyer language i'm like i don't know what you're talking about but then you <laughs> you slipped in an example i'm like oh yeah that is a problem that is a problem right there like so when I've, you kind of give examples it's like oh yeah that that's something good to think about so i've learned over the years that people people appreciate the example because the yeah. lawyer language goes over their head yeah for yeah sure. yeah which shouldn't but it sure does uh, oh, so does. what questions should our listeners kind of be thinking about in their head before they come to you um, to get like a will and trust done? Yeah. yeah. So, so I actually have a, a, a pretty common process among estate planning attorneys. Um, I actually don't ask people to have any of those decisions made before they come and talk to me. Um, and I also don't charge people to come and have that conversation with me. That's a big deal. Um, because, Look, at the end of the day, people are usually afraid of getting an estate plan for two reasons. One, they think they're going to kick the tires and they're going to get a bill from the attorney, which is fair. That happens sometimes. Um, or two, they think it's going to be a really, really, really difficult process. And mm-hmm. the favorite thing that I hear at the end of almost all of my estate plans is, wow, that was really easy. And the answer is it should be really easy. This is not difficult. It's it's hard, right? It, some, of these, some of these decisions you have to make, some of these decisions that you have to think about, some of these concepts are can be mentally taxing, but the process itself shouldn't be overly difficult. Now, that said, um, when somebody calls in or emails in, um, you know, we have a standard questionnaire form that we send out. It has a lot of biographical information. You know, what's your name, address, phone number, your birthday, same for your spouse, um, same for the kids, um, you know, some real rough give me some idea of what your assets are. And a lot of people, you know, I used to get a lot of questions on that. I haven't recently, but I used to get a lot of questions. Well, well how come you need to know? That seems kind of personal. Well, one, I'm in your <laughs> business, right? Like there's nothing more personal than I'm going to help somebody take care of your kids after you die. So you want me to have that information. And two, how do you plan for something that you don't know what it is? So here, here's what I want you to do. I want you, you guys as financial planners, I want you to develop a retirement plan for somebody who's going to retire in 27 years, but you have no idea what their income is and you have no idea what their assets are. And the answer, of course, is you can't because how are you going to do that without the information? Going to be um, kind of hard. It's yeah, going to be right? kind of hard I mean, and very generic. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably going to miss the mark, right? Like, yeah. sure, we can, we can throw totally. something together, but it's going to miss the mark. And, and you know, as, a, as really an example, good. there's... There's huge difference in tax consequences um, depending on the type of asset you're leaving. Are you leaving a retirement account, you know, pre-tax 401k, IRA, 403b, SEP, any of that stuff, you know, 457? Uh, or are you leaving life insurance? Are you leaving a stock account? Well, how those things are taxed on the back end is drastically different. And that may make a change in how your plan is set up. And um, the number of times that, you know, I used to get, well, I don't want to give you that information. And I would have to say, okay, well, then your plan is probably not going to work very well. And you get a weird look, right? Like, well, well, then why would I use you? Well, the answer is I, you, know, you can't anyway. So we, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we ask for generic information and I don't mean like, you know, $57,842 and 46 cents in the checking account. I mean, like I got like, you know, roughly 60 K right. Looking for real rough numbers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the last three, four pages of my estate, planning packet are, well, you know, what do you want to see? And here's three examples. Do you want everything to go to your spouse and then your kids? Do you want it to go to your kids straight? Like, what what do you want to see? And people, you know, typically either write something down or um, I, I actually expected everyone to write stuff down. More people just circle the one they want. And I was like, hey, that's actually really smart. I should have put a checkbox there. But um, uh-huh. and then the last few pages are, okay, so who's, who's making medical decisions for you if you can't make your own, right? If you're married, Nine times out of 10, you're going to pick your spouse. But if it's a subsequent marriage, sometimes people will pick their own kids instead of their spouse, right? So if you're in your, if you're in your 60s and your kids are in their 30s, 
um, and you get remarried, you may still want your kid as the one who's making medical decisions and financial decisions because you have a longer relationship with that person than you do with your new spouse, right? That, that um, can get hard though because when I started getting asked sure. questions, I was like, like, if my wife was out of the, you know, she was also incapacitated for both yep. of her. Like, who would you want to do that? I was like, oh man, I started going through my brothers, and I. I mean, Anthony, if you listen to this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say, I'm going to use you as an example, but <laughs> I was like, oh man, his heart is way too big. He would not pull the plug on me and he'd make my family go bankrupt, right. you know, cause it's like, right. he's just, he's too loving. He has too big of a heart. So it's not like a bad thing, Anthony. It's just, you know, so I'm like, I got to find somebody that's a little colder to be able to pull the plug on me. Well, and then, and then on the flip, this is perfect. This is great segue. Um, and then you don't want too cold, right? So I call that one the anti-mother-in-law provision where no one wants their mother-in-law to be the one who gets yeah. to pull the plug. Because <laughs> no, I, And I love my mother-in-law and she would not pull the plug on me unless it was 100% necessary. But um, no, so a lot of times people pick each other or pick, pick the spouse as the primary. But, you know, I deal with a lot of people who are not married, right? Or are not in a relationship. Well, then who is mm-hmm. it, right? Who, mm-hmm. who is that person? And then who's that backup? Um, and for, you know, two people, husband, wife, you know, two kids, been married for 15 years, you know, the, the quote unquote normal. And I don't mean that, but you know, you know what I mean? It's what society calls normal these days. Yep. Um, that can be a very, very difficult decision. And on, on a medical stuff, normally, not normally, a lot of times spouses pick different people, right? People pick their own sibling or their own parent, etc. Well, then we do the same thing for financial. Um, and I, and I, not every attorney does this, but I actually request or, or humbly ask, and I'll do it the other way if people want to, but, um, Hey, you guys should pick the same backup. And everyone looks at you like, well, why would we do that? And the answer is, if you have a joint checking account and you need to make sure, and keep in mind that this all made a lot more sense before auto pay, because auto pay is a thing and that kind of, you know, takes care of most of this stuff. But if you have a bill that needs paid, you don't need two people with the ability to pay that. Because just think about a group project that you did back in high school or college or whenever the last group project you did was, and two people are responsible for doing something. What happens is either A, and this is the one that you want to happen, both people do it and a bunch of work got duplicated, which is not the end of the world. It is on a group project, but in this particular case, you know your bill got paid, so it's not the end of the world. Um, But the more common one is option B, and that is neither one does it because the other one thinks they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we normally say, hey, you you should pick the same person. A lot of times, if we're naming a trustee for kids' funds, it's that person um because it's kind of the same role but it's you know you're alive but incapacitated versus the trustee as you've now passed and they're managing funds for the kids um so a lot of times you can just sort of slide that through there um and then you know the other two big decisions and I, and I honestly I think these are probably the more important decisions are going to be you know who who's raising kids if something happens to you um and who's managing the kids funds if something happens to you guys and and the yeah. The raising is always the interesting one. That's that's the one that I want people to focus on because at the end of the day, if you die with nothing or you die with ten million dollars, somebody's got to raise kids, right? It, so Charlie, raising should be the important one. Yeah, yeah. So hey, I want to get into this quick because, like, I know this is important. I don't people don't realize they can do this, but it's like parenting from the grave. You know, like because I know for us, like we, when we set ours up, it's like a, I, I can't ever say this right, so you're going to correct me, but it's like a testamentary trust. Testamentary. Yep. Yeah, there we go. And we have it set in there. Like, you know, my daughter gets so much money at so much time, you know, pay for college, pay for house, but like we we get to be parents from the grave. Yep. And I think so many people and young parents don't realize that one. I mean, yeah, it's like, wait, I don't have enough money for a trust. Well, either do we, but we have life insurance policies. Right. We're worth a lot more dead than alive. 
But I would challenge that. <laughs> well, financially. So financially, but, uh, not existentially, right? We know, yeah. we know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So, but like I think the t- tell us more about how powerful it is, what you can go to the extent of being a parent from the grave. Sure. So um ironically, very rarely do my clients take advantage mm-hmm. of that. Um very rarely do my clients do more than say, okay, I'm giving discretion to the trustee. And then, you know, we're going to do some sort of a, a multi-phase payout where they get, you know, X percent or X, X fraction at 25 and they get some more at 27 or 30. And then they get the rest at, you know, 29 or 35 or, you know, whether, whether they want a, uh, a relatively short distribution period or they want a more elongated distribution period. But um, you know, you can, uh, you can do, you, I mean, you can do almost anything in a trust. You know, I had um, I had a couple a couple sets of clients who, um, ironically enough, are both are both uh, of the Mormon faith, and um, I'm I'm not, so I, I understand, but don't understand if that makes sense. But I, I, yes. I know that um, you know going on a mission, and I, I, forget, I think it's right after high school, nineteen might be the right age. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, is really important to a lot of members of their faith, and so they've written into trust that the trustee shall pay those fees. They shall do this. They shall do that. Not a may, but they shall. Um, with the idea being that those funds have to be there, even if, even if it bank, not bankrupts, but even if it depletes the rest of the trust and it's not, you know, the quote unquote best way to handle it, they want to make sure that those, that those things can happen. Um, you know, the, that faith also apparently has two different levels of marriage and I don't, I, I'm, I'm fuzzy on it, but my understanding is, you know, one is what, what we would consider just a traditional religious ceremony. And then one is, is kind of a, a heightened or, or, or further ceremony. And, you know, one of the families, um, you know, wrote in cash gifts because, you know, if their kid was going through that, they would be providing a cash gift. Well, if they're not there, the trust is to kick out a cash gift to sort of take advantage of that. Um, you know, another really good example I have, uh, and these people were Catholic, not Mormon, so it's totally different, but um, they have, I don't remember how many kids, multiple kids, five, five or six kids. They're Catholic, um, so probably five yeah, or six. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, my, my, my dad's one of 11, my father-in-law is one of 13, so, you know, with only yeah. three, I'm, I'm sc- scraping the bottom of the barrel, apparently, but, um, yeah. so... They, they have multiple kids and their age gap was very, very large. And, and, you know, I have a, a an eight, eight year age gap between my oldest and my youngest. Um, you know, their age gap, I want to say was almost 18 years. Well, we put in place multiple funding formulas for the trust to take it, to take into that account and then, and then move forward in time. What do I mean? So basically it was all based on the age of the youngest with the idea being that, their oldest, they had paid all these expenses for, right? They had, they had completely raised their 18-year-old, but their four-year-old, they had not. And, you know, assuming nothing happened to them in the next few years, they were they would have paid for their 18-year-old's college. And at that point in time, their then eight-year-old, they had not. So they had a multi, basically a, a matrix that said, if, you know, if we die, if the, when we die, if the youngest is from this age to this age, this is the percentage formula. And basically, the younger he was, the higher percentage of their estate that he got. And then as he got older, and I think the cutoff age was, was 22, i.e., you know, you should be nearing the end of your college journey at that point if you're not already done. It sort of morphed into more of a um, an even split across the board. And I thought that was a really... 
a really artful way to handle, you know, the young, the youngest ends up with the short end of the stick scenario. Right. And even in my own plan, you know, my, my plan is just equal to the three kids. Um, but I recognize that, um, you know, and my kids, my kids go to Dowling or my oldest goes to Dowling. My youngest two go to St. Francis. But so, you know, by, by the time he graduates from Dowling, I will have paid a lot more for his education than I will have for my youngest. And so it's not, it's not quote unquote fair. And you can't see my air quotes cause you know, we're remote here, but, um, and everybody else is on a podcast. You can't see me. Um, but the, the, the overarching thing being that you can really do a thoughtful job if you want to, if necessary, if it makes sense in your situation to try to, um, you know, build some equity into your estate plan, taking into account that, you know, you have age gaps and you have, you know, needs gaps. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of your kids is, is special needs. Maybe one of your kids is, um, you know, super high achieving. They may not need the same thing, right? They may not need the same plan. If you, if you're, you know, if you're in your fifties or sixties or seventies and you have a kid who struggled with addiction and struggled with homelessness and struggled with, you know, the ability to just have a steady paycheck and you have another kid who's a doctor, you would not treat them the same in the estate plan. No, you may leave them the same amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. You may have two kids in two different scenarios and you may leave them the exact same amount of money, but you should not hand the same amount of money over to the doctor that you hand over to the, to the person who is struggling with addiction, right? You can set up something called, you know, a special needs trust or a discretionary trust or, you know, a support trust. There's lots of different ways to handle it, but the, the long, the long and the short of it here is, um, you get to be parents from the grave. You get to be parents from the grave. Yeah. And that's a really cold and calculating way to say it. That's kind of, it's kind of morbid for a Friday morning, but I like yeah. it. Um, but you, but you, you know, you get to, um, you, you, you get to really continue to be a parent even, even past you're gone. And even if, even if you don't want to do any of those extra fancy things, you're still being a parent from the grave because you're choosing who that person is to manage the funds and raise the kids. And I guarantee you that anybody listening to this, if they, if they allow themselves to be honest with themselves and there's no one around to judge them, they have somebody in their family that they wouldn't want raising their kids or put differently. They have someone in their family who would not be the first choice for them to raise their kids. And they have somebody in their family who would not be the first choice to manage the kids money. And they probably have the opposite. They probably have somebody who are like, yeah, that's the right person for the job. Um, and you get to make those decisions when you have a plan. You don't get to make those decisions when you don't have a plan. Instead, you're asking the court to make those decisions. And I can tell you right now, the court's involvement in your family, unless you happen to be personal friends with, you know, the one judge who is on it, which by the way, they're just going to recuse themselves anyway. But let's just say that worked, right? They have no idea who you are and they've got maybe 30 minutes of, of, of testimony from somebody, an hour or two, two days, you know, whatever. But they have a very, a much shorter and smaller sample size of what's going on. And I can guarantee you they're not going to have all the information. They're not going to know about the dumb decisions that somebody made in their 20s and has grown up from. They may just see the dumb decisions and make the ruling on that. Or they may not know about the dumb decisions in their 20s that somebody has not grown up from but never got caught on that you know about that say, hey, I don't want that around my kid. Um, It's very complicated. It is. There's a lot of nuance. And I said it's not that complicated, right? I said that on the front end because here's the deal. 99 times out of 100, what I tell my clients to do is I say this, pretend I'm not in the room. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, both of you say out loud who the person is who should who should be in charge of your kids. And I go one, two, 
Three, this is only if they don't have a decision, by the way. If they have a decision, we don't do this. And so many times they say the same person and they just thought the other person was going to say something else. I said, great, you guys agree. Let's go. And if they don't, if they say different people, okay, well, here's your top two. How do you feel about that? And usually you can come up with some sort of a decision on that. And if you can't, um, you know, then you're you're one of the, you know, one in 10 where the, the decision is not easy. Um, I'm not saying you should flip a coin, but what I am saying is that any plan is usually better than no plan. And so yeah. an imperfect plan usually is going to do a better job of handling the situation than a, than a, a lack of plan, right? Um, especially if you don't want your kid receiving a bunch of money in their late teens and early twenties, and you want to push that money out. Um, yeah. Cause you know, I don't know about you, but there's no way at 18, could I inherit a bunch of money and be super responsible with it? My wife could have really. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, how's that for a statement? I didn't say anything about right. me, but my, my right. wife could have. Yeah. I want to, I want to do two yeah. things here. One to just kind of pull off here. A lot of people think that this has to be a life event. This has to be like a 12-month decision. Does that make sense? Like you can yeah, always sure. revisit this stuff. And I think that's a lot of the reasons why people are like, ah, this is overwhelming. Well, just look at it as like an event that's going to happen and you're going to revisit this. And when you revisit it, you'll probably be alive. <laughs> so yep. you just have to figure this out for the next 12 months. Let's talk through it. Then when we want to change it, let's talk about it next 12 months after this. And where do we want to do it? Same, leave it. Different, change it. So like, yep. it doesn't have to be this concrete ironclad thing that you can't change. It's something that you can revisit often. Okay. So this is what I would well, say because I think... And one last thing on that. Yeah. Rely on your professional. Yes. Right? So when, you, when, you, when, when someone hires you, do they micromanage and or make all of their own investment decisions? Or do they look at you and say, well, what do you think? And you say, well, here's a couple of choices. Pick one. And they pick one usually and they move on. It's the yep. same thing with estate planning. I've done literally hundreds of these. I haven't counted. I might be closing in a thousand. I don't know. I probably am because I've been doing this a while. Um, I probably have done thousands of these. Guarantee you, and, and I came up with what four that were that were different, right? Like yes. out of that thousand, yeah. may, maybe 0.5% aren't within a standard deviation. I guarantee you, if you come in and it, to me, to a different estate planning attorney, whoever, and you sit down and say, this is my situation. They have a pretty good idea of how, to, how they want to handle it. I'm pretty good at saying, look, here's kind of your three main choices. Which one do you like? And then you pick one. And then yep. you move on with your life and you throw it in the, you know, in the fire safe or the gun safe or the safe deposit box. And uh, generally speaking, people look at it 15 years later and they're like, wow, I, I need to get that thing updated. I think yeah. you should, I think that shouldn't wait that long, but right. I think that's good. Here's what I would say: because when you finally get all this stuff done, you finally get all your decisions made, and you give it to Charles, and everything's great. You still have to sign it. Like that is something that I think a lot of people think it's done, and they haven't signed it. That's so, true. It, so I just want to make sure that people know, like, hey, sign this thing at the end of the rainbow, and then it is ironclad. <laughs> Not ironclad, but then it's it's official. It's, it's a heck of a lot more ironclad than an unsigned will. Yeah. Right. Very true. <laughs> oh, Charlie, dude, thank you so much for just your wisdom and just your enthusiasm. I just, am, I, I've personally used you, uh, my wife and I, we enjoyed our time with you and you made it, made it very easy. And uh, so thank you for doing that. I know it's something hey, that I felt after, 
after I was done, I just felt like, okay, we're adulting. This was the right thing yeah. to do. <laughs> and I've been like counseling people, like, you got to get this done. And then I was like, okay, Philip, don't be duplicitous. Go get it done. So listen, thanks there's for no judgment at all because I told you that I had a kid on the way in law school, right? And so my second child was born during finals of my first semester of law school. My third child was born after I had my own law firm and he was 18 months old before I had my own will. So That's there is a, no judgment yeah, when people that. come in. And and my wife initiated the process, not me. She called me and was like, hey, so I'm like, oh, yep, come on in. I'll have it done by the time you get here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's good. not like the, the these are these are super important documents. Everyone should have them. And look, if you're if you're using an attorney who's judging you for not having them, it's like using a financial planner who's judging you for making the financial choices that you're making probably not a good fit and you yeah. should talk to somebody else because there, there shouldn't be any judgment. No, that's not true. Sometimes there is, but they should at least keep it to themselves, right? Like, yeah, yeah. right. Good <laughs> poker face. Okay. How do our yes. listeners get, uh, just reach out to you if they want anything, how can they contact you? Oh, sure. So my email address is C Bottenberg, C is in Charlie Bottenberg, B is in boy, O T T E N B E R G at allers, A H L E R S law.com. So that's C Bottenberg at allers law.com. Uh, or my phone number is 515-246-0335. Um, happy to chat, happy to review, happy to sit down and have a discussion. Um, Send them funny text messages. Don't That's my office them. line so that you yeah. can do that all you want. I'm not going to get them. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do I, that. I learned early to not give out the cell phone. That, that, did, that it didn't end well. Um, but no, it's uh, estate planning is is a big puzzle. I view this as a big puzzle. People's lives are a big puzzle. How do I help you put the pieces together in the way that you want? Um, it's, it's, it's what motivates me to get through my day. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and I'm, I'm happy to work with anybody who needs help. Or, um, if you listen to this and you said, Hey, I need one of those, but that guy sounds like a jerk or I don't like him. Give me a call and I'll give you the name of one of my friends who does it. I, it's not, yes. this is not, this is not cutthroat. This is mm-hmm. not like I have to, you know, everyone has to use me, whatever. Let's, let's, right. this is, let's get your documents in place. So things are better. That's what we need to do. Right. Awesome. That's why you're on the show. I love your Uncommon. Uh, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. If you have any questions or any comments, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, go be uncommon. Thanks. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.